you. Yeah, you. The one hearing us right now. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. I'm Thena. And I'm Kylie. We wanted to say hey and tell you about our podcast. It's a podcast we both host where we talk crimes, cryptids, murders, and a lot of wild stuff in between. You can find Mothman, Jeffrey Dahmer, SeaWorld, Spectrophilia, Casey Anthony, or even Skinwalker Ranch to be just a few of the crazy topics we cover. We even do some fun urban legends to make you feel like a kid at the campfire again. We're just two best friends hanging out, diving into all the things that your coworkers think you're a weirdo for wanting to talk about. We have a new episode every Tuesday at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we're always open for case suggestions. Our Instagram is at CrypticSuitPod, where our DMs are always open, so slide on in. We always want to hear your opinions about any cases and episodes we cover. You can find our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most podcasting platforms. At Cryptic Soup Pod, the menu is always overflowing with crazy topics you'll want to hear about. So join the conversation today and come hang out with us. Stay tuned. The subjects of this episode will be the dispute over how many actually died in the capital at the hands of the Japanese, the preparation that led up to the battle, which will in turn answer the question of how so few could destroy so many, the safety zone that gave just the slightest bit of reprieve from the horror happening in the city, and the heroes that established it. Even if some of those heroes might make you feel a little conflicted. The end of the occupation and the cover-up that followed, and finally, the trials that held very few of these monsters responsible on our third and final episode of The Rape of Nanking. Kevin Young. And I'm Dan Harrigan. And this is Torture. It truly is torture. This, uh, this, this episode won't be as torture-y as the past two. So you get a little bit of a reprieve from the absolute horribleness that uh, we've had lately. Um the end the, you you'll feel good about some stuff the end of the episode you might be a little pissed off uh <laughs> you know as as it happens with with these kind of things that's, uh, i was gonna say that's kind of par for course for this whole thing really isn't it like it's exactly who gets punished who does not yeah. um nothing i can do about it i i, I don't know what to tell you it's, it, it was you know 80 years ago i, I can't do anything I was going to say, in the words of the, the great Dave Grohl, I've got another confession to make. Yeah. I am. Um, it's the only episode I haven't listened to that we've up since after we've uploaded. I, you know what? I don't blame you. So I. No, I, exactly. I have, I have the episodes up. Um, I have a timestamp in there. If you if if you're listening through that episode and you didn't feel like listening through all the horribleness, including some of the jokes that were told, uh, you can skip forward. 
to they were the worst part. <laughs> and actually, if you go watch it on YouTube, uh, I have I, I I got fancy and I put chapters in for this one, so you can kind of jump around to the certain things. Even uh, even have a chapter that's Dan's first joke or the contents of the video. Dan's first joke. So <laughs> not my first joke ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ever. Let's see how he did. Uh, you can you can jump forward. I think it's like. 36 minutes and 30 seconds in or something like that you skip over and you go straight to when the women start fighting back um but hey if you are able to get through all that without skipping forward banana sticker for you congratulations yeah. uh, do i get a banana sticker because i sat here throughout all that you, you so. can have a banana sticker, yeah. <laughs> i get that from uh metalocalypse did you ever watch metalocalypse when it was on adult swim uh Back in the early days of it, Death Clock. You know, like, I, I, yeah, yeah. I think I watched like I can't remember how many episodes. I'm not gonna. Oh, I got. Lie, but... I think I, I got the first season on DVD. I fucking love that show. God damn it! It's probably my favorite Adult Swim show of all time. Yeah. Rick and Morty, then Moral Oral, then Robot Chicken. But that's just I liked cool. Robot Chicken, but that's only because I watched Robot Chicken. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah. really. My one of my favorite ones was always um, Assy McGee. <laughs> that was just the best show ever yeah. made, as far as I'm concerned. You um the, when the robot yeah. chicken with the Batman ones that they used to do when they had the old Batman with the the gray shirt and the blue pants and the blue collar, just like the really old looking Batman. I found yeah. that and the Flash. I found that Batman and the Flash, those exact ones that they use on Robot Chicken at a comic book store uh over oh, the nice. weekend last weekend. I showed my wife. We almost bought him, but he spent way too much money that day anyway. So it's probably a good thing that we did. All yeah. right. So we do have to get into talking about some of the horribleness that happened, even if we're not going to get very detailed in it like we did last one. So how many people actually died in Nanking during the occupation? Well, that gets a little muddy. Uh, so there have been some that want to exacerbate the number to upwards of like 800,000. This number takes into account population of the city, plus all the troops and all the visitors. It doesn't take into account the numbers that escaped before and during. Uh, they also add in all those that died during the evacuation, which we will get to in a second. Others lowball the number to below 100,000, which is just asinine there, there's you know, yeah, yeah there's no way it was still no, that low no. uh they had more than 100,000 troops that got killed let alone civilians so that's not even close so the most credible investigations into the number put it between 340 and 355,000 so that's pretty kind of accurate if you get me you know what i mean considering yeah. in comparison like you know I mean, it's, yeah so you look at a between 190,000 and 200,000 killed collectively in groups, you know, with the mass yeah. executions that they did. And then between 150,000 and 160,000 killed individually. Just people taken out on their own and slaughtered for whatever reason. The question then, the, huh? So it's all ridiculous. <laughs> the question then arises... How? 
How, with the massive numbers of troops and civilians in the city, did the relatively small amount of Japanese take over? Well, the blame for that can fall on the Chinese government and the absolute clusterfuck that was the preparations for the battle to come. And I mean, god damn it. Just for fuck's sake. So the residents of Nanking knew that the invasion was eventually going going to come. About August 15th, just shy of four months before the Japanese would overtake the gates, the air raids began. And they would hit wherever, whenever they could. Uh, schools, hospitals, power plants, government buildings, railways, uh, prompting thousands of people from all classes to flee or to make an attempt. Um or stories of people. You, you look at you look at uh, videos or pictures of in like India of people just piling onto the trains and there's just yeah yeah it's like it, it was a lot like that. Uh, and there's stories of people falling from these trains when they would get too full. They would actually strap themselves to the bottom of the cars. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but but whatever. I think they, they are. are Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. What a, but what uh I, what I, what I thought of when I saw strap themselves to the bottom, I thought the uh the guy in Polar Express, how he's got like a hammock down there and he's just kind of living. Um but it wasn't it wasn't like that at all. They they strapped themselves. But like uh yeah. gonna be like Keanu Reeves and speed when yeah. he's trying to disarm that bomb and he's on the underneath the bus the floor thing yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and this stupid little cart thing well i mean they, they would just take whatever they could to like tie themselves up to the bottom but that all didn't always work so it would give way and they'd fall underneath the train a lot and, of times you'd hit and roll and then up in half you know sorry but like so these air raids and these attacks right are happening before the new guy takes over that asshole takes over basically. So this is during the time when the yeah, I want to say the nicer of the yeah, Matt Japanese. Su- yeah, Matt Sui, the man with tuberculosis and all that. He was still in charge of everything during. Yeah. That. So yeah, it just kind of doesn't. It's just weird considering the fact that when he said that when they were going to Nanking basically mm-hmm. to take everybody prisoner and not to kill innocents or whatever, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And the next thing then they're like, I can understand from a military perspective. Again, I'm not military minded or anything like that, but. I can understand a certain amount of it, which is, yes, if you bomb infrastructure, that could help them defend themselves and sense, yeah, bomb railways, stop supplies, yep. you know, bomb ports, things like that, you know, ways in out major supply routes, stuff like that, but like schools, hospitals. Yeah, they, you know, it's. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, well, you have to remember that this was also uh, a couple of years before the Germans started doing the same thing. Um, in England, uh, yeah. just dropping bombs wherever the fuck they they fell. So you know, they, I mean, and they were allies at the time. So you know, I think it was kind of the same mentality: is just take out whatever wherever you can. That way, when we get there, they know, hey, we're gonna do whatever it takes. So just let us in, and we'll take care of you. And it, it reduce, but it, redu- reduce resistance. Sir. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. one of those things with the air raids where it was constant, like. Every second of every day, there's a bomb falling. You know, it was it was uh, a couple times a day at certain points in the city, at least from what I've read. Um, 
certain certain times, certain points in the city would have a couple bombs dropped. Whatever got hit got hit. Um, actually, the the boat, the Pan A that will try to get people out during the mass evacuation. Uh, when they were trying to evacuate, it was like, all right, let us get out before you, you know, kill a whole bunch of people. This this boat had a lot of people on it. And they sent planes and they bombed the boat. Now, right. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> so, which I'll, I'll get to that too here in, a, in just a minute. Um, Goddamn bunch of assholes. That's one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, some of the boats that were leaving during you know this couple you know this few months where people were like fuck this i'm getting out they were getting so filled up there just like the trains that people were falling off the boats and then going under the water now it wasn't as cold as it was in december obviously but they weren't they weren't drowning because how cold it was they were drowning because they were going falling going underneath the boat getting sucked under the waves and sucked yeah, yeah yeah so the 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 death started way before the japanese actually arrived at Nanking. But obviously not everybody decided to leave. There were many that that felt like they should stay. Uh, maybe the Chinese army would be able to hold the Japanese off. Who knows? So for those months, the citizens thaw, saw thousands of troops march off to war. Again, this is still during the battle at Shanghai. Um, tanks, pack mules with uniforms, rifles, machine guns. Going out headed to the fight. But when the news of Shanghai's defeat came, Chiang Kai-shek, the national leader of China, skipped town. Uh, there's a whole big... Yeah, I remember thing. you said that all right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole big thing about, well, well, he skipped town, but he left some people there. He left, like, his political rival who was uh, in charge, the way that, that they kind of had it, not like... It wouldn't have been like you know, <laughs> Donald Trump leaving Hillary Clinton in charge. Uh, I was going to say that's like one, that's one way of losing the political race anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, so but, like abandon you all, leave this other guy in charge. But like the people who were under him that came up during the uh, the revolts that kind of put him in power in the first place, uh, there were some people under him that kind of challenged him during during that time. One of the people that, that was under him kind of had a job, but was one of his, you know, quote-unquote rivals, somebody he was always having to look, you know, over his shoulder uh, yeah. for. Uh, he's like, you stay, and you make sure that the <laughs> army, you know, fights for the capital. I'm uh, getting the fuck out of here. Which right later. will be probably, yeah, will be problematic, uh, as you'll see in just a second. So soldiers started readying the city. Uh, digging trenches in the streets, some of which were then filled with alive and dead bodies so uh, tanks could drive over them. Yeah. Uh, barbed wire in the city intersections, fortifying the city walls, machine gun turrets, walling up the gates, all that good shit. They unpacked hundreds of boxes of weapons and ammunition, more than enough to last five months of a siege. I mean, they were they were ready. Uh, they cleared this part. So the Chinese don't get off, you know, without a little bit of the blame for the death and destruction because they would go and clear an entire mile-wide battle zone around the entire circumference of the city. Again, it's one of the biggest cities in the world. 
and they're going a mile wide outside the city gates of the, those city walls and clearing it with fire to anything and everything. Uh, trees, brush, farmhouses, uh, huts, bamboo groves, entire suburbs burnt to the ground. Just, just to, to give them better sight lines, is it? Exactly. Yeah, they wanted to get rid of all the places that Japanese soldiers could hide, make it kind of just a right. clear pathway. Going back to the, uh, they were kind of going back to the old ways of fighting uh, a war, where you don't just go in and 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 kind of guerrilla style. You 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 set up a battle, uh, you set up a battlefield, a, yeah, a battlefield, yeah. and and you go to fight because that always worked out so well for everybody back in you know. Oh yeah, the middle of course ages, it did. Yeah. <laughs> you look at it, it would seem like okay, the Chinese are armed and ready, but. When the government abandoned the city, they took all the good communication equipment with them. They left some of the old shitty stuff, but not like some, again, Nanking's huge, not stuff that you could like communicate across town with unless you were on just like a landline uh, telephone. And most of those were being destroyed anyway. They got rid of all the high powered yeah. communication equipment. Seen flying out in an airplane full of Nokia. 3110 big brick phones where the guys are sitting there left with coconuts and tin cans with string and stuff <laughs> if they had or the motorola's <laughs> yeah if they had one of those old nokias i had when i worked construction I, they wouldn't need weapons they could just use those they use that yeah <laughs> just throw them indestructible <laughs> when they when they skipped town you know they took communication equipment and they they took the trucks that were supposed to be used to get uh civilians and troops out they took all this shit uh, shankai shek's just like load everything just, just and and then the, instead of packing up people and taking them and instead of packing up troops and taking them saying we're gonna get out we need to get as many people out now as possible they started loading up the trucks with like valuables from the embassy yeah, of course. Why not? Like, you know, it's... Well, save the fucking yeah. people. <laughs> China's huge. No, you got to you... save those gold-plated monkeys or whatever shit <laughs> they have sitting huge. up on there. You have plenty of Buddhist temples with, with beautiful uh, sculptures and shit. You'll find more. Fucking save the people. No, they, they save <laughs> the stuff. Yeah, but whatever. And on top of all that, many of the troops were from separate areas of China and spoke pretty much completely different languages. Cantonese and Mandarin are not the same thing. Not even yeah, close. Yeah. Plus, many of the quote-unquote soldiers were kidnapped and or drafted against their will and forced to fight. They weren't trained properly. And the ones that had been were just back from the front line in Shanghai and were tired and injured. So when on December 9th, the Japanese Air Force started dropping pamphlets over the city that said... That's my birthday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> again. Back to my birthday again. <laughs> Back to your birthday. Ah, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> when they started, they started to drop pamphlets over the city that said the best thing to do for the city and its civilians was to lay down their arms because the Japanese would be, quote, harsh and relentless to those who resist and kind and generous to non-combatants and to Chinese troops who entertain no enmity to Japan. That's a half truth. Well, I mean, that that's what meant, uh, Matsui wanted. 
Mm. You know, he wanted. Yeah, to well, the first they got the first sentence right, and that was about it. Yeah, like after that, it was kind of. Yeah, yeah just an asterisk in the fine print, <laughs> like <laughs> subject <laughs> subject to change. Subject to change of management. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and they told them to surrender the city by noon the next day or else the army to most of the troops disappointment declined the offer so the japanese began the assault the next day all out bombardment on the city machine gun fire in the walls you know all that stuff shang kai-shek told the leaders of the army the next day to give up and retreat be like fuck we should have taken them up on their offer in the first place pack your shit and go and then he's like well some of you go and he told the I can't remember his fucking name, and I had it, but it doesn't matter. He told the the, the guy they left the charge. He's like, uh, you know, you can get out, or you can stay. <laughs> really, I think you say, should probably get out. Right. But you if wanna... you want to stay, I understand. But you should probably get out. But I want everybody to know that I told you that you should probably get out. But if you want to stay, I'm not gonna argue with you. But you should. Get... I mean, one of those like, you know, he's gonna do what he wants to do. I told him. I told him type things. So I was going to say you would have butchered that guy's name anyway. So I would have you... ruined it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so on the 12th at 6 p.m., the mass exodus commenced, uh, army and civilian alike. Everyone had exactly 12 hours to get out. And if you ever watched a disaster movie and you could see that, say, oh, tell all the, all the residents to evacuate, <clears throat> you know how well that usually works. Traffic jams and the sun. I was going to say, yeah, I think Independence Day tunnel scene, dog nearly getting lit on fire thing. Exactly. Or mm-hmm. uh, one of the first scenes of, you know, of The Walking Dead when Rick's riding the the horse into a- Atlanta and you see the line yeah, of cars that are all burnt up yeah, on the way out. All those very slow zombies catching up with all those very fast cars exactly. that got stuck in traffic. Exactly. Yeah. Idiots. I don't get that, but anyway. They, they told them, get the fuck out, 12 hours, because once 6 a.m. hit, all weapons, ammunition, and the small amount of communication equipment left behind was to be destroyed, along with all the roads, bridges behind the retreating army. All chaos broke loose. Troops were, were left behind with ape shit. Uh, Chinese tanks started rolling over their own soldiers trying to get out. Uh, troops would break into stores to steal civil- civilian clothes. Entire regiments stripping to their underwear in the streets to not be seen as soldiers. Attacking pedestrians and ripping the clothes off their backs. Guns and ammunition that the troops had on them were thrown away. Uh, okay, so we have an army coming towards us. What are we going to do? Get rid of the weapons, boys. <laughs> Let's stand here in our underwear yeah. and chill and wait. <laughs> so if you're, if you're sitting there wondering, well, why the fuck would you destroy all this shit? First off, it's an evacuation. You're trying to get the people out. So the trucks that would normally be filled with ammunitions, weapons, communications, equipment, all that stuff, that stuff was left behind to fill to for more people to fit on whatever you're, you're taking. But then you say, why destroy it? Because the last thing you want is to leave more shit for the enemy to pick up and use. That's true. Yeah. Well, so, you know, they destroyed it. Well, <laughs> they they figured 
that the Japanese were going to come in and be, you know, not monsters. They figured they would come in because they said, they're like, anybody that, you know, we come in, you give up, you'll be treated well, we'll take care of you. We just want to occupy the city. We just want to take, yeah. put, we just want to put in a government and run, you know, the city. So when all of this is taken over by the Japanese here, not too long, we'll have uh, a centralized government to work out of. But all you people are going to be fine. That's what they were told. And many of them believed it. To be fair, that's what the army were told initially. You know what I mean? That's what, the, that's what their orders were initially anyway. Exactly. You know, so. And why soldiers would throw their guns and ammunition? Well, because if you're found with guns and ammunition, then you're going to see is somebody that is trying to fight the Japanese, and they might kill you. So if you're just in regular street clothes, no guns, no ammunition, no communication equipment, hopefully there's a chance that they won't kill you. Everybody mm -hmm. did this on the guys that the Japanese were going to be people of their word and not, you know, rape everyone when they get in there. Well, the guys were standing around their underwear, to be fair. Some of them, when yeah. When they got there, you yeah. know. So... Fortunately for the citizens of Nanking, there were some Americans and Europeans that, even though they weren't only offered passage out of the city, but were urged extensively by family, friends, and even those in the government to get out while they could, decided to stay behind, putting their lives in very real risk to help ensure the safety of the people they've come to see as their own. These people would set up the International Safety Zone and keep the hospital working. There were a few that stayed behind. Uh, you know, I can't focus on every single person. We'll focus on three, mainly because it's who the book focuses on because they kind of stand uh, out above the crowd as for what they did. Uh, a German businessman, an American surgeon, and an American professor. So America! Fuck yeah. yeah! So first, the German, without whom there would be no safety zone. A man that saved countless lives, sometimes single-handedly. They actually uh, call him the Schindler. Schindler. The Schindler. <laughs> yes! <laughs> they call him the Schindler of Nanking. Uh, <laughs> Knew it. They also called him the Living Buddha of Nanking. Uh oh. A man right. by the name of John Rabe, which is kind of weird that his name would be so close to rape it's r-a-b-e yeah, yeah. yeah so not only the leader and mastermind behind the safety zone but also one that kept an extensive diary which was going to be able to which was able to give us a detailed glimpse into the life inside the gates of nanking um yeah if, if your city is being under siege and there's horrible things happening and if you have the chance to do it write a diary because you know it helps everybody know what was going on. So I'm Frank. There you go. Exactly. That's very important piece of history. Yeah. Right well, there. And we'll actually get to somebody here in a few minutes that whose diary would have would have been a big as big as Anne Frank's if it hadn't been for you know the Japanese. I didn't know it as the Chinese Anne Frank, like that the, China, the, the Anne Frank of Nanking. So you had to. <laughs> She might have Shinter been. Of Nanking. She might have been. Uh, so John had lived in Nanking since 1931, selling telephones and electrical equipment to the Chinese government for Siemens China Company. Um, 
he, he didn't grow up there. He grew up in Hamburg, Germany. But he moved to China uh, as a young man, as, not a young man, a younger man, and absolutely falls in love with it. Falls in love with the place, falls in love with the people. He, you know, he's raising a family there. He absolutely loves it. Bald with glasses, a suit and a bow tie. Now, when I was reading about him, I like to do what I think most people do. is I try to think of um, who would play him in a movie or who, who, who famous he looks like. You know, because you, know, you hear a description, you picture somebody in, in your mind. So I thought of, and I'm sure I'm going to probably fuck his last name up too, uh, Mark Prokisic. Uh, he plays Colin Robinson on What We Do in the Shadows. Mark what? Uh, P-R-O-S-K-S-C-H. Prokisic. Uh, I recognize the guy. You know who I'm talking about? Have you ever seen yeah, What We I Do in the Shadows? Him, all right. No, no, but I recognize him from fuck, something. I, I think you would absolutely love that goddamn show. Holy fuck, it's funny. Okay. He I, plays, I know for a fact I've definitely seen him in something. So. Yeah, he plays Colin Robinson. Uh, so I thought that's who I kept thinking of while I was reading this. And then I found a picture of John Rabe. Dan, go ahead and go look up a picture of John Rabe. Okay. R-A-B-E. Yeah, make sure I spell this correctly. Yeah. Rabe me. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> They're yeah, the same. Wow! Fucking <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Does the picture? It's it was really funny, right? Is when you Google Mark Proksh, Proksh, whatever way you want to pronounce his name. Um, apologies, Mark, if you ever listen to this. But um, one of the images that comes up when you go Google and you go into images is him standing there in like a blue check shirt, kind of like my shirt that I have on at the moment, uh-huh. blue and black. And then I, I switched back and forth onto Google searches between that and the one of John. And there's an image of him almost putting the exact same pose yeah. in the suit. <laughs> and it's just like in the exact same position on Google as well. Uh-huh. This is even funnier. It's fucking crazy how much alike they look. Because I, when I saw the picture actually popped up in the book while I was reading through. And I audibly went, holy fuck. And I showed yeah, John my- has those. Sorry, I was going to say John has those very stereotypical German round glasses when you think of um I'm trying to think of a villain that was in something. Uh like your man in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, doesn't he have those kind of glasses? Kinda, yeah. He's supposed uh, to be German. Yeah, pretty much any like yeah. German any, any movie with the German villain from like the eighties, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties had those glasses on. Yeah. Uh, but Ooh, if you look, hello. Yeah, if you look at pictures of actually of Colin Robinson, he's in a suit and glasses. And <laughs> I mean it's 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 creepy how much they look alike. So if you're wanting the picture of John Rabe, uh, just think of Colin Robinson, and that's pretty much what you got. So anyway, yeah, that's pretty good. Rabe quickly became the beacon of the German community in the city, administering his own German school for elementary and junior high school students. But this is a big but. You may feel slightly uneasy about cheering for John Rabe, even with all the good he does. Now, Dan, he's German in the 1930s. Can you take a wild guess as to why we might feel uneasy about a German in the 1930s? My assumption on this is that he has a very particular pin on his lapel Hmm. at all times that 
most people of a very specific uh, political party hmm. would wear, um, who didn't cause quite as many deaths as the Catholic religion. I just want to throw it out there, but and <laughs> people like the Catholics. Maybe he does a lot of studying anyway, with his right with his right hand straight up. Yeah, yeah, he he yeah. I can uh, yeah I can see that especially when you see other images of of him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for those of you who haven't figured it out yet and don't know what we'd be talking about a German in the 30s, John Ray was the leader of Nanking's Nazi party. So it kind of makes you go, motherfuck. There's always a catch. Now, again, it needs to be stated, like right off the bat, that from what we're told from those who were around him, um, one of those uh, being his granddaughter, who you know grows up knowing him, loving him. Uh, he believes staunchly in the socialist agenda of the Nazi Party and the philosophy of being for the workers. We are the workers' party. We we only care about the worker. But he was not in favor of the genocide of an entire race of people or the persecution of the Jews. Holocaust has not started yet. Right. Holocaust is still a couple of years away. So, especially, not- yeah, people get confused between yeah. the whole Nazi political party, Nazi involvement, the, uh, what happens with Jews and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's very different. Yeah, you could you could thing. have been in the political party then and not been a quote unquote, you know, what we would see now as a Nazi, you know, a bad, you know, you're wanting to go well, kill all the Jews. But it's like you can look at the, it, you know, you could say, oh, the Republican Party doesn't mean you're a Nazi if you're a Republican. But again, yeah, technically, uh, like, technically, like, it's just social and financial issues that you worry about, not necessarily murdering people. Um, like the person we already mentioned, though, like Oscar Schindler, yeah, was a member of the Nazi Party, and it was because of it being the workers party yeah you know which is why he was a part of it and he was far from the he wasn't like the the racist genocidal nazi exactly there were actually many germans uh that worked to help the jewish people and all the others that were being persecuted in germany and poland and all over you know europe at the time they tried to help them get out tried to help them get away from the concentration camps not be murdered so it it's a it's a weird thing. In favor of socialism didn't necessarily mean you're in in favor of the uh, murder of six million people. I say Indiana Jones still wouldn't like him though. No, I don't know if he'd throw him into a plane propeller or throw no. him off of a Hinden, you know, a blimp. But I think he's more of a hit with the whip, ask questions later kind yeah. of person though. <laughs> you know, so didn't bring a ticket. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so, so, so according to all these people, and according to his granddaughter, he was definitely one of these that you know, wanted the agenda for, for the workers and for the people, didn't want people murdered. And his actions will pretty much prove that he cared about people too much to just kill someone just for being born different than himself. But still, Nazi. So take it for what you will. If you feel, if you feel a, a, uneasy rooting for John Rabe, Throughout this whole, throughout this thing, because he's a Nazi, I don't think anybody's gonna blame you. Again, it depends on his stance. Yeah. So yeah. the idea of the safety zone started actually in Shanghai. Now, during their siege, they had a safety zone for four hundred and fifty thousand Chinese citizens. About uh, 
Two dozen people, mostly foreigners, got together and designated a region slightly west of the center of the city for a safety zone, strategically placed to encompass Nanking University, uh, Gingling Women Arts and Science College, the American Embassy, and various Chinese government buildings and hospitals. Um, the idea that this would be a very temporary home for those in the city that weren't troops and would close down after the Japanese took the city and established order back to the capital. It, you know, it wasn't one of those come stay here for 10 years while they fight this whole fucking war. It was get in here, hunker down, the troops are going to fight it out, and if the Japanese do end up winning, which they probably will, then we'll all come out and they will take care of us. It was, it was, you know, pretty much that. It's very much a uh, just go to Winchester and wait for this whole thing to blow over. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Dogs can look up. Yeah. <laughs> to say if we ever end up at war, we end up having to make a uh, safety zone. I'm going to demand it be known as the Winchester. All like all just the for that. all the unidentified flying objects that we've been seeing lately. Um, they all turn off to be UFOs. They're just scoutings. Um, and and aliens come. What's going to happen is Dan and I are going to meet up somewhere called the Winchester. We both know. We know. We've got to get to the Winchester. <laughs> yeah. Probably a million of them. Well, we got to get to one of them. Figure it out. We'll go to all of them <laughs> until, we, one by until one. we get there. Until yeah. we find war beer, war this beer one? and nope. Okay, beer. <laughs> so at first, the Japanese just refused to honor the zone. Uh, again, even the gunboat, uh, that gunboats that were used to get diplomats, journalists, and refugees out that were supposed to be like hey these guys are you know these guys are cool don't kill them uh was bombed and like two people died a lot of people were wounded apparently there was a back and forth between the pilots and the ground crew like they're telling them like bomb that boat and the pilots are like we don't want to bomb the fucking boat uh they're just trying to not be killed and they're like bomb the boat anyway Apparently, it was a pretty big back and forth until, you know, pilots ended up bombing them. And then the pilot ended up on a running man. That's the start of the running man. That's the start of the running man. <laughs> yeah. So for months, like I said, the city had endured aerial bombardments. And the safety zone was no exception. Wherever the bombs dropped is where they dropped. So in late November, Rabe had had enough and decided to do something about it. He did what any good German would do. He wrote a letter. Oh, yeah. Because that's, <laughs> that's how we work. You go through the proper channels. We are very God unhappy with the way you are treating our citizens. <laughs> Please stop this now. So who does a German Nazi in China write to get shit done? Can you take a wild guess on who he wrote a letter to, Dan? Mm, starts with hit, ends with lure. Oh, he my wrote guess. to the Fuhrer, Fuhrer, of course. Yeah. Yes. John Rabe wrote a letter to Hitler to request, quote, kindly intercession in asking that the Japanese government grant the building of neutral zone for those who are not fighting to battle for Nanking. He also telegrammed General Counsel Mr. Kribble, quote, asking cordially for support of my request of the Fuhrer, which otherwise would make a terrible bloodbath unavoidable. Heil Hitler, Rabe, Siemens representative and head of the International Committee on Nanking. 
Now, naturally, he got no response from either. However, not long after his correspondence, the leaders of the safety zone noticed that the bombings were no longer landing indiscriminately across the city, only military targets. And this kind of perked people up like, holy fuck, he actually... He actually did it. He he wrote a couple letters, and he got shit changed. That really bumps him up, um, like in the pecking order. To a, what well, a is that what happened? Like, did it? Did that actually make the difference? Like, did they don't know? If... But I, you're okay. you're you're taking one thing and then another thing and putting them together. So the, yeah, they were bombing I, yeah, everybody, yeah, yeah. and then he wrote a letter. Circumstances and, and all that. Not too yeah, much longer. Yeah. They stopped bombing everybody. Um, but whether that uh, was yeah, the reason or yeah. not, whether that was the reason or Ooh. not, that's what everybody believed. So John Ray went up e- e- even higher in people's thoughts and respect. Like he he got shit done. My assumption, yeah, is that they were running a little bit lower on ammunition after having raided Shanghai mm-hmm. and now was sitting there bombarding there, and decided let's stop bombing everything and let's concentrate. Because we only have a limited supply of this stuff, and we need the infrastructure. That's a, <laughs> so that's you know a, you, that that's an astute observation. Yeah, no, it's that's Fiora. Because ah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like a very Hitler thing to do. Be like, would you quit killing all the people? Yeah, <laughs> it'd be be more of a <laughs> yeah. kill more people. Type. Yeah, stop killing all the people that look different to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The zone seemed to be the safest place in the city since they weren't bombing everywhere now. Uh, most citizens started showing up en masse in expectations of the coming battle. Soon, the two and a half square mile designated for the zone was bursting with 250,000 refugees. It's about 100,000 people per square mile. For context, the most densely packed city in the world is Manila, the capital of the Philippines, with people building homes literally on top of other homes. It has 46,178 people per square kilometer. Do Jesus. Little, do a little math. Yeah, do a little math with the miles and t- to kilometers and all that shit. This easily makes the safety zone, if it were around today, the second most densely populated city on earth. They were literally on, people slept on lawns. They slept on stairways. There was nowhere people were not packed in. I was just thinking, just kind of thinking of, is it Kowloon? Is that the name of the place? The It's all just apartment high-rise buildings all jammed into each other in Hong Kong? Oh, possibly. I have I, I think just I, give I me a second. I'm just looking. Yeah, it's Kowloon, yeah. Yeah, if you Google Google Kowloon City, holy schmoly. Like, it's sheer lunacy is what it is. That's what I thought was the highest densely populated area in the world. But if Manila is worse, then I can only imagine. You have to Google well, Manila. Well, in Manila, it's, yeah, holy shit, motherfuck. Apparently, is... there's 1.9 million inhabitants per square kilometer. In Kowloon? It's, um, yeah, as according to 2021, wow. um, some documentary thing. It's written here in French, so I can't really read it. That says "La City," <laughs> so I guess that means the city. Um, 
my French is terrible. But um, 1.9 million inhabitants per kilometer squared now. So that's obviously now the highest density population yeah. thing, but it's sheer. Hmm. Well, there you go. Mad, but that's still that's still absolutely crazy, though. The yeah. uh, like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just thinking about tents set up in yards next to other tents set up in yard. I mean, people were everywhere. So when you have this many people, it sets up a few problems, uh, namely food, medical supplies, clean water, shelter, and of course, sanitation. I was going to say, yeah, waste. People is, got uh, shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But all these things... <laughs> raise... How many people per square kilometers again? Uh, <laughs> well, for Manila, it was 46,178. Uh, I, uh, yeah. I didn't do the math, but I'm sure you... I think it's, uh, what, two and a half square miles is like 6.4 square kilometers, I believe. <laughs> so, so. Just trying to get that many people pooping. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's like it's like that scene in Jurassic Park. There's a big pile of shit. Yes, just sort of be like it's just one person. It's just it's just one group of people shitting all in one big pile. Back but, in the pile. But all these horrible things that had to be taken care of, Rabe took those on personally. Now, overseeing the cleanup and maintenance of the toilets in the camps, driving his own vehicle along with some other people in the camp uh, to get a cache of food that had been stored outside the city during the bombardments opening up his home and his school to the women and children that were seeking refuge. Um, he would, they would literally be driving their vehicles from where the food was stored to the safety zone through the city, trying to not get shot at or bombed while doing it. Like every excursion yeah. was a function was a fucking action movie. Yeah. I can't, can't imagine that now to be fair. Like it's, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. I just, I just kind of try to have these kind of mental images of everything. But he, mm. like many others, thought once the Japanese breach the gates and take over, everything will be fine. Then they did. Afterwards, Rabe explored the city and found corpses and burned down buildings. He actually uh, chased some Japanese soldiers out of a German-owned coffee house, and they went and burned it down. Then he began to notice... The rapes. So he did what any good German does. He wrote a letter. Wrote a letter. Yes. <laughs> ah. Several, actually, to the Japanese embassy, but it did little good. Uh, soldiers were still sneaking into the zone and killing and raping women. Uh, Rabe decided to take it into his own hands, pretty much becoming motherfucking Batman in the process. Literally, I mean, and you might as well have given him uh, a cloak and cowl. Because this motherfucker is going around doing, you know, he's doing the kick-ass shit. He's just wandering around town yeah, yeah. saving people. Uh, just walking around going, they're going to love me. And punching people. <laughs> he would roam the streets, either on foot or in car, uh, looking for those in need. Inevitably, someone would stop and beg for his help to stop a rape. Uh, Rabe would then be directed to the crime in progress and either chase them away or physically grab the assailant and pull them off the victim. One story he wrote in his diary goes as such, quote, The mother of a young, attractive girl called out to me and throwing herself on her knees, crying, said I should help her. Upon entering the house, I saw a Japanese soldier lying completely naked on a young girl who was crying hysterically. I yelled at this swine in any language that could be understood. 
Happy New Year! And he fled from there, naked with his pants in his hand. <laughs> I'm Pat John. That's what he said. <laughs> Pat John. I'm Red yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that doesn't sound right. That's horrible. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, yeah. what did you just say? I'm, he yeah. says it with the German, I'm Brave Man. No, that, don't call yourself that. Not now. Especially not now. Yeah. Get ready for justice, yeah. <laughs> I shall save you. <laughs> so he would turn his home and office into a sanctuary for his employees and their families, which was the reason he stayed behind in the first place. He felt obligated to make sure that his employees were safe. They couldn't leave. They didn't have the means to leave. They didn't leave. Well, neither did he. Captain going down with the ship. And all of this, he reported to Hitler. Again, more letter writing. Everything he did, he reported back to Hitler. So why was he able to get away with all this? Why did the Japanese run from him and no one else? The Japanese military feared no one, except for the military of their ally, Hitler. So when That's Ray... Say, except for Bat, Bat John was the only person they feared. <laughs> you just look up, they just light up in the sky, and it's just a bald head. Yeah, <laughs> the glasses. <laughs> So when Rabe would pull up with his swastika on his sleeve, the Japanese knew to get going. But like I said, there were others that saved people of Nanking, like Robert Wilson, otherwise known as the only surgeon in Nanking. Uh, he was a graduate of both Princeton and Harvard, uh, kind of an overachiever, if you ask me. But yeah. Uh, but since he grew up a missionary's kid in Nanking, that's where he decided to open up a medical practice. He felt like that was his home. So he went back to his home. Now, for all those months during the bombardment, and even after the occupation, Wilson went to work. Even after the staff at the hospital fled the city, Wilson stayed and helped people. And remember, these aren't just the run-of-the-mill sick people. This is severe trauma, unlike anyone had seen. One story about a woman in desperate need of attention goes, quote, and when I read this, you're going to go, bullshit. And I said the same thing, but this is what they wrote. This is what like one of the nurses who worked in the hospital, one of the very few that stayed behind, I believe she wrote this in her diary, and that's where we get it from. So take it for what you will. Uh, but this is okay. about a story of a woman in desperate need of attention. And oh, hold she... on a second before we start. Go ahead. Is this the guy? Is this going to be the guy who was apparently cut in half, and they bring him in, <laughs> and he's somehow still alive? Staple him back together. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like I swear he cut me in half with one blow. <laughs> and it's like it's not lined up right. It's like one eye is higher than the other. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Quote. She was one of the five women who the Japanese soldiers had taken to one of their medical units to wash their clothes by day and be raped by night. Two of them were forced to satisfy from 15 to 20 men, and the prettiest one, as many as 40 each night. This one who came to us had been called off by three soldiers into an isolated place where they attempted to cut off her head. The muscles of the neck had been cut, but they failed to sever the spinal cord. She feigned death and dragged herself to the hospital, another one of many to bear witness to the brutality of soldiers. 
I, Dear Lord. Again, I, can, I can only go by the story that's there. I, how they cut through all the muscles of the neck, but not the spine. I, I can understand you don't get through the spinal cord because it's inside the you know the spinal column, and you might not have been able to get through the bone. But how yeah. you cut through the muscles without cutting all the arteries and veins that are in the neck and you're bleeding out. Okay. It's that thing, yeah. The, it, it, the only thing way that makes sense in some ways is if you went in through the side, which is exactly where the arteries are. Yeah. You went in through the front, that's the windpipe. Went in through the side, there's the arteries. Yeah. Went through the back, you're getting the spinal cord. So, like, take it for what, what happened. Is she has a scratch. She, this girl went in <laughs> with a scratch on her neck. Either she what has happened. a scratch or she has. <laughs> Uh, arteries and veins made out of fucking titanium. I don't yeah. know. But or we adamantium. Can... It's, yeah. it's, it's Wolverine's daughter or something. It's vibranium. She comes from Wakanda. I don't know. <laughs> so Wilson and the other few that had stayed in the hospital pretty much ended up living there. Uh, working in shifts and protecting the hospital in shifts. There are always Japanese people or... Uh, the traitorous Chinese people that were had turned against them, always trying to sneak in and uh, find out who was where so they could give the army a uh, better idea of what was going on in there. And they're always trying to combat, you know, the army coming in, taking people and all this. Uh, yeah. Patients who had nowhere to go weren't discharged. It wasn't, okay, you're good to go. You got to get the fuck out of here. This is where are you going? My house is gone. Okay, well, you're just going to stay here then. And those that could leave and had a place to go were escorted home by foreigners who were less likely to be murdered by the Japanese in makeshift ambulances. And they did all of it for free. Not a single person was charged for anything. Now, this is this is pretty much a, a, I was gonna a say, wartime What are you going to spend it on anyway? Yeah. <laughs> this, now, obviously, if this happened in America, they'd have to make sure your HMO went through. Uh, they'd have to see, you know, you come in there with an arm missing. They'd be like, well, we don't accept Blue Cross Blue Shield. We only accept this. They're not paying. You know, they're not They're not paying through the state. Yeah, yeah medical insurance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if it was here, you'd be waiting about six years to see somebody. Yeah. Like, we don't have the whole health. Well, we have health insurance, but we don't have the issue that it is in the states where you won't get seen by that kind of thing. Well, if um, you have the money to pay for it. Well, yeah, yeah. But you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, yeah. yeah. But, um. Yeah, here you'd be waiting months upon months or years upon years. Yeah. Apparently, there's a whole thing here now. Actually, sorry, I don't want to divert too far. Oh, but no way, like everywhere has like across Europe, Ukrainian refugees and stuff like that. And there's been a whole thing here where they they're flabbergasted at how long it takes them to see a specialist for anything. You know, so if you want to get just normal generic medical care and you want to go into the A and E thing. I don't know if that's, if that's what you'd call it over there, but um, you go in, get seen to for something, whatever. It's fine. But if you want anything above, yeah, that, if you need, if you need, need specialist at all, yeah, it's impossible to get it here. Yeah, you know, like we're waiting for five months for the results of an X-ray from where our son hurt his foot, and wow. we think he fractured it. Yeah, still haven't gotten the results <laughs> of the X-ray. <laughs> the doctor calls me. Well, it's broken. Like, yeah, but it fixed. Yeah, it. Oh, that's great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. We, for, we, yeah, we, that's why it's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's walking around with his foot going like, flipping around like this. <laughs> <laughs> so this leads us to Wilhelmina Vatrun, or Minnie, to those who knew her. Minnie is what we will call her. Uh, so I don't have to keep easier. saying Wilhelmina, uh, or Wilhelmina. Yeah. So we'll just call her Minnie. Um, she was the head of the education department and dean of studies at Ginling Women's Arts and Science College. 
a 51-year-old Midwestern woman born and raised in a town of Socor, Illinois, which is just about an hour north of me, which I find kind of neat, um, was one of the only faculty to stay in Nanking after the occupation. Uh, she took it upon herself to make sure the safety zone was prepared for female refugees and to help evacuate wooden, wooden, wounded soldiers from the area. She disguised their identities and burned the military papers and garments in the college incinerator. She directed the moving of furniture into attics, emptying of safes, cleaning of dorms, and the hiding of valuables. She personally stood at the entrance of the zone from 8.30 in the morning to 6 at night to be the welcoming face to the thousands that poured in daily. When the Japanese stormed the college, looking for Chinese troops and women to kidnap, she also took it upon herself to hide everyone she could, mostly in the attic of the building where she was able to pack away 200 people. The attic would come to house over 1,000 women by the end of this whole thing. That's a, I mean, that's pretty strong attic. Everybody's like. but well, it, it's a university, so I mean, it's got a pretty good size attic. But still, that's a lot of people crammed into a fuck. If you've ever been in an attic before, I don't like being up in an attic with more than two people anyway. So yeah. yeah. Now Minnie was wooden soldiers. Yeah, fucking wooden soldiers. Now Minnie was sometimes <laughs> yelled at and slapped for not letting the Japanese soldiers in the buildings or rooms she didn't want them to go in, telling them, sorry, no key. Don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> yeah. Now, she, much like Rabe, would physically put herself between the women who were being dragged away from the zone and the soldiers that were doing the dragging, many times ending up with swords or guns pointed at her face. So when she wasn't welcoming, hiding, or protecting the women of Nanking, she was doing everything she could to comfort them. And on top of all this, found the time to write a diary detailing the events of those six horrible weeks. And this diary should have been every bit as important and famous as Anne Frank's famous journal. How does she find a time to do that? Like, if she's I standing at the door from 8.30 until 6 o'clock... She's overseeing all this other stuff. She's basically standing there telling the Japanese to shove off every three minutes, <laughs> you know, and then spending her time like you know, cleaning out dorms or arranging them and overseeing the whole thing, basically. Yeah. I don't and know. And then she's like, oh, I've got time to write my diary, all these detailed accounts. And... She's a fucking girl boss. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how any of them did any of the stuff they did. I don't know. Serious work ethic. Yes. Uh, was she, I guess she was one of these that absolutely loved not just the people of Nanking, but the Chinese people, the Chinese culture, the Chinese uh, land. Anytime she'd go home to Ellen to uh, come here to Illinois uh, to see family before this and after this, I'm sure. Uh, all she did was rant and rave about China. She brought home uh, souvenirs and whatever else she could from China, gave them to family. She taught all her family how to eat with like chopsticks and how to eat like the Chinese do, how to cook like the Chinese do. Um, she would teach them. There's a long pause. Yeah. She taught her family how to eat. <laughs> Stop. You don't Chopsticks. just take them and stab them at them. You got to you know, do this. Yeah. Uh, she loved China. There's nothing about China she didn't love. So she did this purely out of the love she had for the land and the people. But the question is, 
this journal's so important, why didn't it become as famous as Anne Frank's journal? Why isn't it studied like hers is? Why isn't it required reading in high school like Anne Frank's? So at the very beginning of the occupation, there were reporters in the city uh, seeing and documenting the atrocities that were happening. Uh, but once they left a few days into the occupation uh, to go to Shanghai to report back to their respective news organizations, the Japanese closed off the city as to not let in any more reporters. Other reporters saying that while they were driving out, they actually had, and I'm not talking about in like January, saying driving out like four or five days after the, after the Japanese breached the gates. Yeah, yeah. They're driving over mounds of bodies to get out of the city. Japanese are like, you reporters, yeah, you can get the fuck out. We don't need you here. Uh and yeah, and they're they're pulling up to like the docks to go across the river, to go across the bridge and looking over and seeing just a line of Chinese people right there next to the river just being mowed down by Japanese soldiers and falling into the river and drifting away. And then they just drive over the bridge and go, go like it's just another Christ. day. Yeah, that's messed up. Yeah, and then when later on in uh, January, when reporters were allowed back in, all of them were accompanied by Japanese representatives. Reporters weren't allowed to just come in and wander around, take pictures of what they wanted, write down what they wanted. You had a Japanese representative taking you to specific spots watching what you were doing at all times. They did everything they could to keep the ambassadors to China away until, you know, the mess could get cleaned up. But honestly, it just came down to Japanese propaganda, saying that what the Chinese and Americans and Europeans were saying was just slander against the Japanese, their sworn enemy. They even went as far as to stage pictures of the city for distribution throughout Japan and the rest of the world, calling on the Chinese managers of the refugee camps for a spontaneous celebration on New Year's to be held in the city, making the Chinese make and carry thousands of Japanese flags in a parade for a motion picture that would illustrate crowds of joyful residents welcoming Japan sol Japanese soldiers. The Sinshon Po newspaper in Shanghai, it's a Chinese newspaper, but it's being controlled by the Japanese. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, we'll be at this stage, yeah. Yeah, so people are reading this paper thinking, oh, it's coming straight from the Chinese, when in actuality, Japanese government was the one running the paper. They wrote the headline, The Harmonious Atmosphere of Nanking Develops Enjoyably, and claimed, quote, the Imperial Army entered the city, put their bayonets into their sheaths, and stretched forth merciful hands in order to examine and heal. Yeah. So poetic. Well, they did. Like, <laughs> the, the Germans ended up doing the same thing with the Jews, where they would find some who were kind of like smiling and happy. You know, they like, like give a little kid a piece of bread and they smile because they're not going to be starving for the next few minutes. And they take yeah, a picture yeah. of them and be like, look how well we're treating everybody. There's no <laughs> Holocaust. But Auschwitz, what is that? I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody's happy over here. It's Americans... Our gospel is at a reasonable rate right now. What are you talking about? Americans, go home. Russians, get back to over there. Go sledding or whatever. It's fine. Yeah, so there's loads of well-known 
propaganda shots yeah. from that. Just the one of the flag being hoisted, isn't it? In um, uh-huh. the top of one of the buildings in. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember which city it is now. At the top of my head, but you know the one I'm talking about. Just it's a very famous yeah photo. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean that was kind of par for the course. Propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. We're not doing anything wrong. Just leave us alone. You know, hearts and minds. That's how you win it outside. You see, is well, the. I mean, that's, that's propaganda side of things anybody who isn't there it's the only way you can get like realistically like the Japanese had to get the rest of China to be okay with what might come later if they were to take over right without any more resistance basically is obviously the thing like you oh look they've taken the capital they've done a sunshine and happiness and everybody's happy and they're together and you know well and, and... the sex is is um it, 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 it's it, it's done willingly so apparently well, and yeah. if everybody knows exactly what's happening in Nanking, there's a better chance that somebody's going to come try to stop it. You yeah, have that. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like a third party, even. Yeah. Or it's, yeah. it's pretty much the same shit's going on in Russia. You know, the Russian people have no idea about the Ukrainian war because Putin won't let them know. It, oh, yeah. well, we went to the Ukraine and everybody's happy about it. They love it. So the Russian people are like, yeah, Yay. kicking ass or taking names. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's cool, Russia. So now I've said many, many times, the rape lasted for six weeks, but the occupation actually lasted for years. The Japanese didn't just come in for six weeks, you know, fuck all the women and then take off. They they came in, set an example of what they were going to do, and then just stuck around. They were, they were, you know, saying, well, we're setting up a government here. This is what's going to be after we take over all of China, you know. We'll have a government already set in place. So they were there. Yeah. Damage done to public and private property, not including the immeasurable cost of human life, obviously, was about seven hundred seven about nine hundred and seventy-two million US dollars back then. Today Jesus Christ. that would be <laughs> worth just south of twenty point five billion. Billion. With a B. Yeah. And, and this was the part that kind of shocked me when I, when uh, I read it, uh, all those air raids that the city endured before and, and you know, right there at the beginning was only about 1% of that damage. All the rest of it came from the troops. From it was the, what did they just like, what? Like, did they just go around just blowing shit up randomly, like just leveling buildings Yeah, just for the crack, like. For the well, they they burned down buildings. They they uh, completely destroyed entire neighborhoods by themselves. Not not with you know aerial bombardments, just by themselves, driving tanks through shit and all that. Yeah, about so twenty four point five billion. So about twenty billion of that was just caused by individual people. It's ridiculous. so that's like just like a bunch of kids on the beach just stamping on sandcastles. Exactly. Now after the six weeks of horror was over. That didn't mean the pain was over. Uh, people knew that they could come out of their houses and walk around and probably would not be shot and killed for it. Um, but you still didn't just, you, you didn't, you know, you didn't poke the bear. But you, yeah, you, know, you knew the bear yeah, was yeah. there. And the bear was cool with you walking around. But if you came near the bear, the bear's going to rip your face bear off. Bear poke you? Yeah. So opium soon made a surge in the city and addiction became rampant. Uh, the Japanese uh, also opened up a facility in April of 1939 
for human experimentation named EI-1644. They injected or fed Chinese prisoners with a variety of poisons, germs, and lethal gases, including acetone, arsenate, uh, cyanide, nitrite, prusent, uh, and snake poisons, killing about 10 prisoners a week. And they kept this going until the Japanese surrendered in August of 1945. So from April of 39 to August of 45, you want to do the math, 10 people a week, however many weeks that is, there you go. It, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot. That's, yeah, yeah. I just just messing around with experimentation just to see how these things were. Yeah, yeah. Making effect, like, it's like, oh, well, that's like, <laughs> it just sounds terrible. Yeah. This reminds me of The Simpsons when... <laughs> Mr. Burns is a member in the restaurant and he had to pick the wrong cow. Uh-huh. And he they kill it. And he's like, that didn't put much of a fight. I want that one. And then they go off and get another one. Yeah. I like a glass of milk. Bam. That's probably what it was like. So when the Japanese when the Japanese surrendered, uh Unit 1644, uh, they just decided to blow up the laboratory, destroy all the data, and hit the road. It's like, okay, well, this is over. We're done. Goodbye. It's like snake venom kill check boom see you later yeah like that's that's not what it gotten from it's like yeah is this lethal or not we already know it's lethal but yeah just well and it's like you have to do something with the government funding yeah it's just like the experiments that like Goebbels and and all them did in uh or mengala did in in uh, the the concentration camps well what happens if we inject bleach into their eye well they'll go blind yeah there's only way to really know for sure (laughs) (laughs) what will happen if i take uh you know, the kidneys out of this person, put them in, in this person. Well, they don't have the same blood type. Well, let's find out. And you do it and the person dies. Yeah. You know, what happens if we uh, take twins and we sew their backs together? <laughs> well, they'll die. So, uh, yeah, eventually we'll cover the shit that some of those people, that uh, the doctors of, of the concentration camps did. And uh, it'll be just like this episode. You'll go, God damn it, why am I doing this? More uh, time for German accents. Exactly. As well. You know, du hast mein <laughs> So for all the people that uh, when I talked about Japanese and uh, human experimentation, whose ears perked up because they know where I would be going with this, we will cover more of this group and what they did when we cover Unit 731 some point down the road. Uh, We've had enough of the Japanese horror stories for the past few weeks. We'll cover that at some other time. Unit 731, are it's terrifying. Just so you know. Um, Now, this will lead us to the trials. So the occupation goes on until, you know, Nagasaki and Hiroshima get fucking bombed. And uh, the Japanese go, okay, (laughs) enough. And go home. Um, They left Nanking. Everybody's, you know, back to where they're supposed to be. But then there are the trials. Obviously, what happens when you're in a giant war and, you know, there are war crimes, you have tribunals. So they had separate trials in China and in Tokyo. Uh, In Tokyo, the International Military Tribunal for the Far East, or the IMTFE, began on May 3rd, 1946. This fucking trial lasts for two and a half years. I'll tell you, but say weeks or something (laughs) for a second. Three times longer than the Nuremberg trials. It is the longest war crimes war crimes trial in history. Four hundred and nineteen witnesses, forty nine 
thousand pages of transcript with like 10 million words, uh, 779 affidavits, 4,336 exhibits, which don't you usually go exhibit A, exhibit B. You're going to run out of letters. <laughs> it's gonna be like it's gonna be like a really it's gonna be like one of those really crappy excel spreadsheets <laughs> they get in work all the time and through uh and through all that only a small handful were punished uh, prime minister of japan koki hirota and a small frail tuberculosis ridden man by the name of matsui awani you know like we talked about, the guy who wanted to take over Nanking with love. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, he, the only nice one. He of them, lived. He actually lived through the war, long enough to hmm. be put on trial. Uh, and along, and five other Class A war criminals were hanged December twenty third, nineteen forty eight. Here's the part that might piss you off. Matsui was the one who wanted to go in the Nanking. Be like, listen, we're going to take care of you guys. If you put up a fight, you're going to die. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. But if you don't, you'd be taken care of. Prince Asaka comes in going, ah, kill them all. He didn't stand trial. He got immunity. What? He was, <laughs> he was the emperor's uncle. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, yeah. family. Uh, like, yeah, 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 you, yeah. These these people under here, you, you want to kill them for what they did. Yeah, horribly. Shame on you. Shame on you. But him, yeah, no, you can't touch him. He's family. He's lineage. You don't. I read that. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding. First, Matsui shouldn't really. I mean, he was he was doing what he was supposed to do as far as leading an army. He's like, you know, kill, kill all the troops, march into the city. Leave the civilians alone. That's what you're supposed yeah. to do. He's the one. He's a fall guy. But obviously, it's his Japanese honor. He stood up and said, "I was in charge of all this, and even after I got quote promoted out of out of the field, I was still in charge of a lot of stuff. I didn't stop it. So I'm just as guilty as these people. So he died mostly because it's something he chose." Yeah, yeah it's a bit of an idiot. <laughs> no then, offense to you, dude, but that's stupid. So then you have God, the Nanking, uh, you have the Nanking War Crimes Tribunal held in China. Now, uh, Hisao Tani, who we have not spoke about, he was a lieutenant general for the sixth division of the Imperial Army. Now, this was the division that perpetrated many of the atrocities in the city. He was found guilty and killed by gunshot on April 26th, 1947. Also, the captain from the same division, Gunkichi Tanaka, who personally killed over 300 Chinese POWs and civilians with his own sword, and two others you might remember. Maybe printing their escapades in the newspaper wasn't the best of ideas because. Sorry, I was going to ask about them actually. Yeah, I was, just, I was waiting to see. <laughs> Noda Takashi and Mukai Toshiaki, our killing cat, our killing contest celebrities, were all sentenced to death and shot January twenty eighth, nineteen forty eight, and that's pretty much it. 
the, the rest of the soldiers <laughs> that killed and survived just went home, lived their life, raised their families, seen by seen as heroes in their countries until death. That's it. Those yeah. are the only fucking people that stood trial for all of this. It it's infuriating. Oh, and who it, won the competition though? Uh, you know, I don't know. You know who won the competition? The Chinese people, because eventually they they, they died. That's who that's, won. That's so so anticlimactic that competition. I, it, it, but it's not like with the Nazis that that you know they all ran off to Argentina to not be found, and then and then you know people went and found them and brought them back, and they stood trial and they were killed. You know, not yeah. a you know there weren't as many Nazis put on trial and and put to death as there should have been, but at least the the hunt for them the hunt for justice went on after these two trials and this small handful of people getting found guilty and, and killed that's it that's done that was the end of it no more done okay we took care of it you go your way i'll go our you know we'll go ours that that, that was it it's infuriating yeah it's just a bit ridiculous yeah no, because they're, they're obviously ob- uh, uh, getting told out. They're obviously the only people they could have like named or like held accountable because they can't just go, yeah, that's random Japanese soldier number two there. I know he did this or that without anything to back it up. Whereas you guys had documented proof in newspaper things of like fucking yeah. Gimli and Legolas back in. That's the only counts as one, you know, <laughs> shit going on. But you. I mean, yeah, you, you think that, but then you go back to the Nazis and you say that there <clears> were a lot of Nazis that were found out decades later just living their life in either America or South America or wherever, um, even some still in Europe, Jews who would survive the concentration camp saw them and be like, that was the man who was putting people in the gas chamber. And they yeah, yeah. rest them, go to trial, and they're either found guilty or innocent, whatever. But... That hunt went on and on and on and on to find anybody they could. But for some reason, with the Japanese, it just didn't. They didn't, unless there was some, like, wild band of Chinese uh, fighters out there that went looking for these soldiers and, and killing them, like like hunters on Prime with, with, the, with the Nazis. Uh, it, it just, that was it. That was the end of it. A handful of people were found guilty, and then everybody just goes back to the way things were. And it, again, it's it pissed me off to no end when I read that. Now there's a, yes, a whole there's a whole much so unfair. yeah there's a whole much bigger story about that you can get into about textbook suppression and all that. Uh, but that would make this a three hour long show. That's just not going to happen. Um, Irish <laughs> Chang championed for years for this to be taught in schools and to shine a light on the terror that the Nanking people went through. Unfortunately, uh, November 9th, 2004, around 9 a.m., she was found in her car on a rural road south of Los Gatos, California, dead by an apparent self-inflicted gunshot. Yes, there was, for a while, a conspiracy that she was murdered by the Japanese government or Japanese nationalists, but evidence points to mental health struggles and depression being most likely the culprit uh now this was a very very cliff notes version of this event uh we cover the uh 
the highlights, I guess you would call it. Uh, but it's in no way 100% the entire story. Yeah. From uh, what everyone went through to the very short Japanese history we gave you to the trials. It's just it's just really the tip and maybe a little bit of the middle. Just the tip. Just to see how it feels. Um, go read the book. It, it's worth it. But, say that's what the Japanese said. That's right. But that concludes our series on the rape of Nanking. I apologize to everyone. I'd say it was a roller coaster. A little bit. <laughs> like, it's just well, a little bit. Uh, it, it, you know, there's nothing. Nothing makes you feel good. You know, roller coasters usually feel good moments, and then and moments that don't make you feel so good. There's no feel good moments in this one. It's all just hor- from the second it starts, except for maybe the uh, the story of uh, Ling Shou Ying or Li Shou Ying. You know, fighting the guy's asses. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty that good. that that's an uplifting story. But for the most part, it, it was all just just horrible. Uh, so sorry about uh, about that. <sighs> it's damn interesting, though. But my God, yeah. Then this is what I love. Like, this is what I love history, and I love finding out about this shit. And then you 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 find out about it, and you're like, fuck, I wish I knew, and I never knew. <laughs> I wish I never knew any of this stuff. Oh, uh, fuck. All right, we oh. would like to thank the Cryptic Soup podcast for starting off this episode. We'll have a link to them in our show notes. Please go follow us on Instagram and all the other social medias at TorturePod. Email us, TorturePod at gmail.com. If there's anything you would like for us to cover, or if you have any comments or questions, uh, rate, review on Apple or wherever you know you listen, if there's a way to rate and review follow subscribe to us um wherever you're listening if, if you just like found us or heard somebody say something and you, you looked us up go ahead and hit that subscribe button um head over to our youtube page uh, i got some snippets some excerpts and uh full full episodes on the show that you can watch i guess i don't know there's not really anything to watch on there except for your logo and the thing going in the back but yeah whatever um if you like to donate to the show, you can on our link tree, uh, which you can find on our socials. You can buy us coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash torture pod, which can be found on our link tree, which can be found on our socials. Uh, we're currently still working on getting some merch out. It, it, listen, it's been it's been a busy few weeks. Uh, also a roller coaster. Yes. So <laughs> getting, getting the merch and the Patreon out like I wanted it has taken a little bit longer. Um, I'm, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's supposed to go out on Sunday. With my schedule between now and then, I'm going to have to edit, and I don't know if I'll get it all done. So hopefully this came out what it was supposed to. Uh, ah, sure. Look, it's three weeks. You know, we can forgive that kind of I'm sure everybody is okay with that, Kevin. I'm not, I'm though. Sure That's the thing. Fine. I'm not. It drives me crazy when I can't get shit done the way I'm supposed to get it done. But tell him there now, everybody. He can hear you. Tell him it's okay. It's okay. Crickets. We forgive you. All I hear is crickets in there. Uh, <laughs> Damn but, it, I forgot. It's not a live show. <laughs> but we are going to be working on uh, getting the Patreon up and getting uh, merch up. We can actually technically start our Patreon now because Dan finally wrote his song for Joey. After Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank yeah, you again, it Joey. just took me a long time. Yeah. Um, but we'll get that. And the, uh, the videos of us uh on you know it, it's straight through we don't don't cut anything out just you know the way it is um hint for our next <laughs> including all my coughing 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, coughing and my sniffing and all that shit. Yeah. Uh, so the hint for our next episode. Sorry, Dan. Uh, there's more than one way to scalp an Irishman. Hmm. Yeah. Look that one up. Yeah. Well, Dan, you got any pearls of wisdom before I, we let you go? Um, not quite. No, I realized at the start of this one, we didn't. Um, this is the first episode we've ever done where we didn't go into loads of banter at the start for 20, 30 minutes and then move <laughs> yeah. on to the main subject. We went straight in and we're recording, what, an hour and a half now, yeah. nearly, or whatever, like, you know. So it was probably about an hour, 20 long minutes with zero banter. So, um, aside from that, no, it's just kind of nothing new with me, yeah. really. I just want to get I just... got a new headset. I got a shock mount that doesn't work. <laughs> That's about all I, got. I got a new uh, I got a new computer. Um I call her I call it Ziggy. Is the uh nice. the computer from Quant from the original Quantum Leap. My brother and I used to watch Oh Quantum yeah, Leap. yeah. My yeah. brother and I used to watch Quantum Leap together. Uh he passed away know, thirty years ago. And uh so yeah, computer Ziggy. Now the last one, my last one, my shitty one was named Mister Bojangles. So, oh right, <laughs> Jesus! I always had this whole thing of like I'm going to redo my computer at some stage, yeah. and um, I always had this whole thing of when I get to do like the eventually in the next couple of years, um, do the proper studio room. Uh-huh. It is going to be um, named Mother after oh. the computer and Alien. Yeah, I had mm. looked through some different names of, of famous computers, and I almost went with a few different ones. Mother, Mother came up. Um, but I, but I was like, Ziggy. I like Ziggy. It's very Ziggy. Yeah, Ziggy is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm Ziggy. I'm pretty sure this PC is actually called Mother. I'm pretty sure I have it down as the PC name. It's down oh, as yeah. Mother. Already. Yeah. All right. People are, people are sitting there going, oh, okay, here they are getting into the banter. All right. There. Yeah. The banter. <laughs> you can skip past this bit. The main part's done. If you want yeah, to, you, yeah, know, you can turn it off the episode. Yeah, you don't have to wait for the music to go. The analytics have already background. shown that you've been listening for more than six minutes. So it's already out <laughs> in there. So I'm good. If you stop listening, go ahead. All right, I wonder if anybody can uh, translate the German that I spoke earlier on. I'm waiting for that. Because uh, I actually did sure a proper sentence get, in German. I'm sure you'll probably get some. I'm, bro, I'm sure we'll probably yeah. get some. I'll be like, how dare he? Oh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't very nice thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you after we stop recording. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, with that, uh, take care of yourselves and take care of one another. And we'll talk to you next time. See you. Slan. Slan.